when you've been in other uh, countries, uh, you know, spiritual warfare, as I've seen it here, it's like we, in the West, we, we look at like, you know, ex, the exorcist and think, oh, okay, that's what spiritual warfare is, head spinning, crazy voices. And certainly you look through the history of how spiritual warfare is played out around the world, there are, there are physical manifestations of the devil's power. But here it strikes me more that um, as you look at, say, the way uh, we're deceived by ideas, that, that's, that's the way the devil can work in the West here. But in less developed countries, uh, talking to missionaries from there, they're going to see totally different kinds of spiritual warfare. Have you, seen thing, have, you, have you seen phenomena like that where it takes a different form in different cultures? And there's classic ones like you've talked about between all cultures, but then Satan, Satan adjusts himself to cultures. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there are so many, there are so many ways the devil fights his battles. I can remember uh, several stories from Uganda uh, we were doing an open-air meeting in the Owino Market in Kampala, and uh, there were like three crowds. Uh, we had a truck, and we were preaching the gospel off of this truck. And over on one side was a huge crowd of Muslims, and on the uh, other side of our truck was a, a witch doctor. And he had this huge python wrapped around his, his chest, and uh, basically... You know, it was trying to sell potions and uh, relieve people from curses, you know. And so, I mean, it was as dramatic a scene as you could see. Um, so people deceived by um, what they would, what you might call a witch doctor or a medicine man or a shaman. And then Islam, and I can remember being surrounded by the Muslims and they were just yelling at me, you know, and uh, the, the funny thing that they were yelling is, what about circumcision? What about... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's just, this is a strange conversation, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I was trying to point them to grace instead mm-hmm. of works. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then finally, I just looked, as they were yelling, I just said, why are you yelling? Mm. And it was really interesting. All of a sudden, shoo, yeah. it, was, it was like, oh, yeah, we don't have to yell. But another time, we were in a Sudanese refugee camp, and one of the pastors I was with, like, he is with the Anglican Church. His name is, his title, he's in the, what they call the church army. They call him Captain Titus Baraka. Great. Okay, I just, I would love that on my door, like, from here on out. That's the captain. That, that's fantastic. There you go. <laughs> but Captain Titus Baraka, who is a dear friend of mine, and we've we've done bunches of missions uh, out to the islands and Lake Victoria and Sudanese refugee camp in the north of Uganda. And uh, one night uh, we had preached and this lady came, uh, people brought her uh, to us and, you know, he was translating because, you know, these were languages I didn't know and he knows several. And uh, he said, she's demon possessed. And I said, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. They didn't train me. At seminary, had a not a seminary course for that to do with this, but you know he laid hands on her. We all, you know, he got asked her. We laid hands on her, and boy, he was you could he was just going praying fervently for God's deliverance for this woman, and uh, you know, people allow in themselves sometimes sin in their life by which Satan enters. 
Sometimes it's through immorality. Sometimes it's through uh, alcohol or drugs. And you'll see the devil just just take over their thoughts and, and their, their emotions. And that's what had happened to this woman. And so, um, you know, thank God, you know, that there is no fear in a man like Titus Baraka. You know, okay, I call it like it is. This is a demon. We will pray for her to be delivered. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, hearing those stories um, can seem somewhat exotic, but they're really what all of us are dealing with all the time. It's just there's different manifestations in different cultures, but we're, we live inside of a spiritual war. I think that's why there's so much instruction about it in the New Testament. Um, all right, switching gears just for a second here. Uh, I know we've got a little bit of time left, but you're doing a lot of work on home missions. We've talked about church planting. Uh, you just got back from a conference on the PCA and home missions. Tell us a little bit about what, what you saw there and what role First Pres has to play going forward in that. Mm. Well, part of the challenge in the United States is seeing where churches are not uh, and where the people are. And um, one here in our own presbytery, we have 17 counties that do not have any PCA church in them in this presbytery. And so our presbytery has a desire to see a church planted in each county of our presbytery. And that makes sense. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good vision and challenge. What is interesting is each denomination is usually stratified socially, economically. And uh, the PCA is a fairly white, middle-class, professional. Uh, we have engineers. We have business people. Uh, we have professors. We're not full of mechanics or carpenters or plumbers. Uh, we we, we uh, are not blue-collar, usually. And blue-collar people need Jesus. Farmers need Jesus. You know, truck drivers need Jesus. And so the question is, who's going to those people? And so part of the challenge is, is praying that God would raise up people who will love those communities. You know, so I'm very concerned that we need more reformed PCA churches in the black community, in the Hispanic community, in immigrant communities. Uh, one of the men who was there, Tony Wang, is somebody I would hope our church eventually will get behind. But Tony Wang is Chinese, uh, came from China, is, uh, has, you know, is legal, planted a church in Florida, and then realized that in the PCA, all of our Chinese language congregations are on the East Coast. We don't have any on the West Coast. No. Now, let me get after you take a guess. Do you think there are any Chinese people on the West Coast? On the West Coast? Yeah. Nah, never. Of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, of course. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so uh, I met him a year ago, and, and I was just so excited about his vision. And he said, we're, we're my wife and I are going to try to raise support, and we're going to go to Irvine, California. There's a huge Chinese community there. And uh, I wish at that moment I could have said, we're behind you. But I knew that we were, at that point we had no category 
to be able to support him. Um, we're, we, we have given some support to playing here in our presbytery, but to say, why should we support a Chinese brother going to plant a Chinese church in California? It's because there are tens of thousands of Chinese legally here who need Christ. And so I saw him there, and he, I, he, I said, have you started yet? He said, well, we weren't supposed to. So what do you mean? So we're still in the gathering stage, but so many people were wanting this that we started it. And I said, how many people showed up? He said, a couple of hundred the first Sunday. That's unheard of, by the way. For people listening, that's unheard of for a church plant. Yeah. <laughs> I must started crying. I said, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And he said, we, we got permission to have in a school, and the word went out. He said, the next Sunday, it, you know, uh, it came, you know, a lot of people came because it was a startup. Everybody was excited. But a, at least 100 people are there, and he, he is nowhere near having a team ready to take all these folk on. And some of these people aren't Christians at all. But the idea of a gathering of Chinese people in Mandarin, you know, is, is such a joy to them. They want to be there. And so, you know, he's somebody I want us to invest in. And, but ethnic church planting is going to be a priority for us here at this majority white church. Uh, as I told uh, my chairman, I said, I, you know, I intend to give all your money away. And he looked at me, and a few months later he said, you weren't kidding. <laughs> First Takes is produced by First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our theme music was written and recorded by Wes Breedlove. Our sound engineer is me, Dylan Thomas. Our host is Dr. Gabriel Fleur. S.K. Van Pufflin is our executive producer, and for more information about First Presbyterian or our ministries here, visit our website at 1stpresbyterian.com.